you weren't here with us last week, we uh, began a new series on one particular verse. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to begin making way to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Uh, we are looking in verse 6 of chapter 14, and we're going to be doing this for uh, the next two weeks, counting today, three weeks total. Just spending time looking at what Jesus said is the song we just sang. Uh, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. This one verse causes many people who are skeptical when it comes to Jesus when, or Christianity to really want nothing to do with it. Those who are opposed to Christianity, sometimes it just comes down to this one verse. How can you say you are the only right religion in the world? And so we're walking through this to understand not only what Jesus is teaching, but how we apply this verse to our life. Uh, how we are to live this out in, in our life. And so this is our theme verse for the, the, the series we're in. But we also have a, a uh, purpose verse for this series. In 1 Peter chapter 3, in verse 15, the word of the Lord says, But in your hearts regard, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. The word defense there in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 in the Greek is the, is the word we did apologetics in the English. Apologetics is the means of defending our faith. It's the means of defending what the Bible calls our hope, defending why we believe in Jesus Christ, defending why Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, defending why we, we trust in Him for our eternal salvation, why He is our Savior. It's to be able to engage in, in conversations with people, to share with them not only the hope that we have found, but ultimately to lead them to a place where they can also have hope in Jesus Christ. And as far as that goes, one thing we need to keep in mind when it comes to defending the faith and what Peter's talking about here, it's not that we defend God, okay? We, we don't defend a holy, all-powerful God. That's impossible. But at the same time, Scripture instructs us, commands us, and calls us to be obedient to the fact that we are ambassadors for God. We are witnesses for God in this world that people would see Christ in us, that people would understand why we trust in Christ, why Jesus is our Savior. So John 14, 6, I challenged everyone last week to begin memorizing that. I know many people have heard that so many times they already have it memorized. So if you already got that, I want you to begin memorizing 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It's our, it's our purpose verse for this series to be able to defend why Jesus is the way, why He is the truth, and why He is the life. A little context we built last week it was what's going on in this, this passage in chapter 14 of John is Jesus is preparing his disciples for the time where he is no longer physically going to be with them. And so he tells them, I'm getting ready to leave, but don't worry, you know where I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for you and you know the way. To which one of the few times that Thomas speaks out in Scripture in a panic mode asking Jesus to tell them which way is the way because they don't know where he's going. And Jesus gives the instructions again in this verse that I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you weren't here last week, you can go to iTunes, you can go to our, our church's website and find a link to the, the sermon. But I want to get our minds going back into this, this statement that Jesus makes and kind of give a little brief summary. When Jesus said He is the way, He meant He is the only way. 
He is the only way to the Father. He is the only way to heaven. Meaning all other religions do not lead to God. All other religions do not lead to eternal security and eternal salvation. It is only through a faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. The reason Jesus can say that is because of the cross and the empty tomb. No other religion offers that. All other religions require us to work our way to God, work our way to being a good person, work our way into eternity. What God does through Christianity is not a means of us working, but God has already done the work and completed the work. And so it is through Jesus Christ and by our faith in Him being the way to the Father that we are granted eternal security. Jesus also saying that he is the way is is telling Thomas and telling disciples that, look, guys, you've been with me all this time. I am the way in which you were created to live. Follow my example. Follow my teachings. Live out the way I have lived and let that be the way of your life. That is the way you are called to live. And when you live that way, you will find your place, you find your way to the place that I am preparing for you. That early believers believed so much about Jesus Christ being the only way and the truth that they preached it, they lived it, they taught it, and they ultimately died for it. Matter of fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that the utmost importance in, in verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 3, Paul writes, For I passed on you what was most important and what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that's another name for Peter, then to the twelve, then He appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of them who are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James and all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me, one born at the wrong time. What Paul was saying is that is because Jesus took the wrath of God upon Himself, He took our consequences of sin, our, 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 our stepping out of the will of God, the ways of God, we, we deserve to be punished for that. We deserve to be judged. If you do something wrong, you should expect a punishment. Well, Jesus stepped in our place. He took our wrath. He took our punishment upon Himself. He died on a cross, but He rose again. And there are witnesses who can testify to that. Many, which Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that are still alive, meaning you can go and talk to them. You can go and ask them. They will tell you they've seen Jesus back from the dead. And then he says some have fallen asleep. That is to say some have died because many who began practicing the teachings of Jesus, who began living in the way of Christ, who began to be persecuted. And many ultimately began to die. We talked about last week how Jesus came to make the way to God, and and that does make Christianity exclusive. But when we have the problem with exclusivity of Christianity, the problem is not what Jesus said here. The problem is we don't fully understand the love of the Father. You see, God did not come to exclude anyone, but to include everyone. That's what the Bible tells us. This is why Jesus had to do what he did so everyone can come to a saving faith and a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and they can live about the way. The Bible also tells us that there is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, its way is death. That comes out of Proverbs 14, 12. And that is really going to help us set up when we talk about Jesus saying, I am the truth. Because there are ways that people think are truth that ultimately are going to lead to death but it's right in their mind, and so we're going to dissect that. So again, our verse today is, Jesus said to them, I am the what? (laughs) I haven't even gotten like five minutes into this, and you already sound like zombies. All right, let's put a little Pepto into it. I am the? I am the? And I am the? No one comes to the? Except through? Very good, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for this day. 
I thank you that you are the way, the truth, and life, and you have revealed that to so many people in this room, in this place. Lord, I also know there are people in this room that, that are probably struggling with that. Maybe they're here seeking your will, seeking your way, seeking who you are, seeking your truth, and, and trying to discern that in their life. And Father, I pray by the power of your Spirit that you bring us to a place of repentance, you bring us to a place of conviction. Father, for those who are your children in this place, that we, we understand what the truth means for our life and how we should be living that out. For those who are here this morning who have yet to accept you, Lord and Savior, that they would come to understand who you are and how much you love them and how important it is to understand truth in their life. Father, let your spirit just have its way with us this morning. Let your word come alive as it is living and active and let it impact the very depths of who we are. Thank you, God, that you are a God who knows everything about us. Every single person in this room, you know exactly where we are and what we're going through. There's not a thing hidden from you. And so, Father, we open our lives to you. We open our hearts to you. Help us receive your word and apply it to our life that we may live it out. Father, I pray this all in your Son, Jesus Christ, holy and risen name. Amen. So what does it mean to be truth? What is truth? If you're looking at a dictionary, truth is fact. It is something that is reality. It is something that is accepted as truth. When Jesus is speaking to his original audience here, mostly the disciples, and saying it's truth, they would have understood truth because they came from a Jewish background. The truth they would have understood is that God is a God who created all things. He is holy. He is set apart. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. He, he, he knows us, and God works in his people and his, through his people. And that is a truth the Jewish people would have, have come to realize. And as mentioned last week, when Jesus says that he is now the way and the truth, he is saying that I am one with God. I am equal with God, and God is truth, and now I am the living testament of God's truth before you. What makes Jesus truth, though? Truth is something everyone struggles with. If you look in the last days of Jesus, when he's on trial and standing before Pilate, Pilate asks him the question, what is truth? What is truth? How do we know when something's true and when something's not true? You see, in our world today, we may not struggle with truth, but we make questions like, did that really happen? Or, or is that right? We make statements like, no way, or that's impossible. And, and, and if you haven't said that, perhaps you've heard or you have said yourself this particular statement. You know, what may work for you doesn't work for me. Or what may be right with you may not be right with me. Or what may be true for you may not be true for me. Perhaps you've said it. Perhaps you've encountered someone who has that mindset. And the thing with that statement is it reveals that there are types of truths in this world. And there are two types. There's relative truth and there's absolute truth. Relative truth says that saying that something may be right for you, it may work for you, it may be good for you, but it doesn't work for me. That's a relative truth. It, it, it's relative to that person, that individual. But absolute truth says that it is truth for everyone at every place and at every time. For example, when I think of peanut butter, peanut butter is a relative truth for me. Not everyone likes peanut butter, believe it or not. And if you think that's the most craziest thing you ever heard, then try to give peanut butter to someone who's highly allergic to peanuts. It would not go well. I am not a peanut butter fan, but there are still people who have strong-hearted convictions concerning peanut butter. Personally, if you try to hide peanut butter in a cookie or in some sort of dessert, don't take it as an insult when I bite it and spit it out. It's not you, it's me. 
I just cannot stand it. But some people are so convicted that they will fill their bellies with peanut butter. It's the best snack. It's the best food to eat. You can eat anytime, anywhere, breakfast, lunch, dinner, late night snack, whatever. And that's fine. That's, that's you. That's good. And then you go in the realm of peanut butter. And people argue, well, who, who's, who's a creamy peanut butter fan in this place? Ah, uh, but no, who's crunchy? Yeah, all right. So now we got realms of peanut butter. No, 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 no. But you, you want to make sure that it's a natural peanut butter because then it tastes more like what it's supposed to taste like. And then some say, well, then you want to go with Jiffy peanut butter because Jiffy's the best. And like, no, no, no. You want to go to Peter Pan peanut butter because Peter Pan's the best. No, Welch's is the best. No, I like the Walmart brand. That's the best or whatever brand it is. And we did these strange little arguments about the stupidest thing. And here's the reason is because we get confused confused on what is relative and what is absolute. We get confused on what is relative and what is absolute. Relative truth allows us to debate some of the stupidest things in the world. Go Broncos, go Chiefs, go Raiders. And we argue about stupid relative truths all the time so much that we confuse them and actually think they are absolute. Absolute truth, on the other hand, is truth for everyone Everywhere, at every time, there is no debate. Examples are that we breathe oxygen. We all, at some point in time, were born. And at some point in time, unless Jesus comes back, we all will eventually die. The earth is round. Did you know it was once thought to be an absolute truth that the earth was flat? Yet the Bible said thousands of years before that statement came about that the earth was a spear? It was round? The earth is made predominantly of water. We live in physically, or we are physically in right now, Stratford, Missouri. Two plus two is four. Those are absolute truths. Those things do not change. But the difference is when we get the, the, the confusion of relative and absolute, we begin to get into arguments and debate about who's right and who's wrong. This is seen more clearly in the world of science. Theories. Theories are not absolute truths. Theories are ideas by people who have a doctorate in front of their name. That is what a theory is. A theory cannot be proven. It is just a thought, and people spend millions or billions of dollars trying to prove these theories. Theories will not change you because they're not absolute truths. Think about two of the most... Uh, Conflicting theories concerning the Bible. Theory of evolution, the theory of the Big Bang. Now, what is the point of these two theories? Come on, science people. What are these two theories tempting to do? Explain where we came, Explain where we came th from. Explain how things came into existence. But ultimately, what are these theories trying to do? Take God out of the equation. The thing about these theories is that if they were true, then we would have no moral compass, we would have no purpose, we would have no accountability, and we would have no hope. Because the thing about these theories, they basically live on the premise that we live and we die and that's it. But the reality of them is they're trying to take God out, and if there is no God, then there is no truth. Theories can't be tested. But when you look at God's word, it is tested and proven in the life of God's people every single day. 
We, we can look at it, and even though people try to say, well, that's where the Bible's wrong, that's where the Bible uh, isn't true because these things haven't come into existence and we can't find these places. Every time they've come up with archaeological or scientific or, or physiological type of things that try to disprove the, the Bible, you know what eventually happens? God shows them where to, where to dig. Every single time someone says the Bible's wrong in this area, God is just kind of laughing like, all right, well, it's because you're digging there, you need to dig here. Theories, like the truth of God's word, though, when it comes to evolution and Big Bang, you know what they do? They require faith. They require faith because they cannot be tested. They're, they're not absolute truth. They are relative truth, and they require faith. And I say that because have you ever seen anything spontaneously combust in your life? How crazy and dangerous of a world would this be if we were driving down the road and boom, a car just automatically appeared in front of us? Sometimes that happens, but it's probably because we weren't watching. How, how, how difficult of a world would it be if things would just disappear or reappear all at once? It doesn't happen. Why? Because that's not natural law. Matter of fact, science even disproves itself because science states that something cannot come from nothing. And yet that's exactly what evolution says, is that, is that there's something that just happened and things started evolving and coming into something. But the Bible states very clearly in the very first book, you know what God wants us to know? God wants to know that in the beginning, God created all things. He gave things a purpose. He gave things hope. He set up a, a level of accountability. He set up hope and love and, and, and meaning. And so something came from a source, and that source was God. When we look at this understanding, Jesus is saying that I am the truth. He's saying that he is the absolute truth. He's not the truth just for Jews but he's the truth for all people of the world. He's not the truth just in the first century, but he's out of date in the 21st century. He's not the truth just in modern Israel, but he's the truth in the Western world. Jesus was saying to his disciples, I am the truth, the only truth, and I am nothing but the truth. If you want truth, look to me, and I will show you the truth. So in looking at this, what we have to do for review or rather building our faith, we need to ask some questions. Why should we believe that Jesus is the truth? Why should we believe that? Because if we believe it, it's, it changes everything in our life. Well, first off, Jesus said it, right? Let's just start there. Jesus said he's the truth, and so we take it, and we take him at his word, his truth. But that may be too simple for some people, and some people may not well, want to go along with that argument. Well, then let's turn back. If you're still in John, go back to John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, and verse 58 and 59, and I'll, I'll, we'll set up what's going on here in a second. But Jesus said to them, them, that is a, a Jewish group of people that are around him, truly I tell you before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but when Jesus was hidden, but Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple. Jump into this event where Jesus is surrounded by a crowd of Jewish people. And he makes this comment, truly I tell you before Abraham was, I am. And what Jesus is doing in this moment is he was revealing to the Jewish people who he was. 
That, that word I am is the covenantal name of God. It's the name of the Lord Yahweh. It's the name, if you turn back to the book of Exodus, you find when Moses is asking, who should I say is sending me? Who should I tell the Israelites who you are? He says, I am who I am. It's Yahweh. And the Jewish people had such reverence for this name, they wouldn't even speak it. They wouldn't even write it out. They would write Y-H-W-H. And such reverence for the name of God as being holy and set apart. So when Jesus says, I am, I am right in front of you. I am Yahweh right here in your presence. That's why they start picking up stones. They had such reverence for the name of God, but a lack of reverence for God. And Jesus says, I am God. If you turn a couple pages over, John chapter 10, verse 30. If you're setting to memorize scripture, here's one of those short ones you can, you can set to your heart. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. That's pretty clear what Jesus is saying about he and God, isn't it? They're one. They're, they're equal. They're the same. Jesus is the physical manifestation of the God of glory, the God of the heavens, the God who created all things. He said that I am equal with God. And not, Jesus didn't only say that, but the believers, the followers of Christ believe it. If you turn back to the beginning of John, this is almost the premise of what John is, is, is putting forth in the gospel. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. And jump down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And it's not just here. Paul came to understand that Jesus is, in fact, God in the flesh. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He, and he's speaking of Jesus, is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." How does this help us understand that Jesus is the truth? When you look at some of the statements that Jesus makes and some of the beliefs that the followers of Christ had, we have to come to a conclusion. For Jesus to say these sort of things, there's no way he could be only a good moral teacher. There's no way he could be a strong prophet. There's no way we can say he only lived a good life. If Jesus were to be these things, which he was, then that means the things he said about himself and the things the believers believed about him had to be truth. In other words, Jesus was either crazy and out of his mind or he was speaking the truth. C.S. Lewis writes in his book, Mere Christianity, which I recommend to anyone. So I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him being Jesus. That I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. But you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense 
about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Ultimately, it comes down that people have to come to a personal decision. Do I believe this is truth? Do I believe this is God's word given to man as truth, absolute truth? What makes Jesus the truth for everyone? One, he said it. Two, the believers believed it. Acts chapter 4, we looked at last week, there's salvation in no one else. No other name by you can be saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. But if we flip the question, what if Jesus wasn't the truth? What if the cross is some fable? What if it's some little fairy tale that we all just hope that is true? What if the, the, the resurrection never happened? And I love this about God's word is God actually puts this in his word. He actually deals with this idea. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. He says, And Christ has not been raised, and our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Meaning that if Christ has not come out of the grave, then your faith and forgiveness for your sins is, is in vain. It's worthless. It's meaningless. And you talking about Jesus and how much God loves you, that's worthless. Meaning we're wasting our time in this moment, this place, if Christ has not been raised. Moreover, verse 15, we are found to be false witnesses, meaning we're lying about God because we testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins, meaning you are still heading for hell. You're still separated from God. We should be still offering sacrifices. If Jesus was not raised from dead, then that means he wasn't the atoning sacrifice. Those then who have fallen asleep, or as the language Paul likes to use, those who have passed away, those who have died in Christ, have also perished, meaning they are eternally separated from God. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone else. That is, if he isn't raised from the dead. It goes on verse 20, but as it is, Christ has been raised. He has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. What makes Jesus the truth for everyone is the same way that makes him the way for everyone. It's the testimony of the cross and the empty tomb. That Jesus lived a life that you and I could not live even in our best day, even in our best moment. He was perfect without sin, without blemish. And he took our sin upon himself, upon the cross. And God poured out his wrath for sin, his judgment upon sin, upon Jesus Christ. They placed him in a tomb because sin is, leads to death. But he came out to show that he can give us victory by our faith alone in Jesus Christ. It is the cross that is the gospel and the cross we must continue to cling to, but not just the cross because Jesus is no longer dead. He's alive and he sits at the right hand of the Father. R.C. Sproul writes in his book, Reason to Believe, Moses could meditate on the law. Muhammad could brandish a sword. Buddha could give personal counsel. Confucius could offer wise sayings. But none of these men were qualified to offer an atonement for the sins of the world. And the reason that is because all of those men are in their tombs. But Jesus is alive. Maybe you're here, maybe someone's in your, in your life that is really struggling with who Jesus is. 
And they're at a place where they say, well, you know, I don't even know if I believe the Jesus of the Bible. I don't even know if, if Jesus existed. Well, here's the problem with that argument is there's more evidence to prove that there was a man named Jesus who lived in the times of the Bible, who did, who did incredible, unexplainable things, things we call miracles, who had a massive following, eventually was killed on a cross by the hands of Roman for some unexplainable reason. There's more historical evidence to prove the man Jesus of the Bible than there are to prove the 16th president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. And that's outside of the Bible. Now, would you get an argument that Abraham Lincoln was never the 16th president of the United States? That would be ridiculous. The same argument about there not being a historical Jesus of the Bible holds no weight. And what about the resurrection? Is there any evidence to the resurrection? Look around you. Look in front of you. I do this because Jesus saved me. He changed me. And let me tell you this, and I've, I've said this numerous times in my times of ministry. If this were not true, and if I have not seen God prove himself through his word and show his truth through his word, there's no way I would still be in ministry. Because ministry is some of the toughest things you can do in your life. Sometimes it is very lonely. Sometimes you wonder if you're doing anything that is making any impact in this world. Sometimes the people that you love the most hurt you the most. Some of you all have experienced that in your past. If Jesus did not rise from the grave, if he is not alive today, if he could not give me salvation, I would have quit a long time ago. I'll be your evidence. People sitting next to you are your evidence. The fact there's a church on almost every corner in the United States is evidence. The fact that there are churches in places where the gospel is outlawed, where the Bible cannot be read, where you, where you would be lucky to have just a piece of paper from the Bible that had some scripture on it, because if you got caught with it, you would die, and people are willing to give their life for that piece of paper. That's the evidence. It's because the gospel changes lives more than any theory, more than any relative truth. Reality, though, is we have to come down to decision. Jesus cannot be a great moral teacher. He cannot just be a great historical individual or even a prophet. Josh McDowell writes, and more than a carpenter. If when Jesus made his claims, and we've looked at some of them, and he knew that he was not God, then he was lying and deliberately deceiving his followers. But if he was a liar, then he was also a hypocrite because he told others to be honest, whatever the cost, while himself taught and lived a colossal lie. More than that, he was a demon because he told others to trust him for their eternal destiny. If he couldn't back up his claims and knew it, then he was unspeakably evil. Last, he would also be a fool because it was his claims to being God that led to his crucifixion. If it is inconceivable for Jesus to be a liar, then couldn't he actually have thought himself to be God but have been mistaken? After all, it's possible to be both sincere and wrong at the same time. But we must remember that for someone to think of himself as God, especially in a fiercely monotheistic culture, meaning believing they, Jesus went to the Jews, they believed in one God. And then to tell others that their eternal destiny depended on believing in Him is no light flight of fantasy, but the thoughts of a lunatic in the fullest sense. He goes on to write, I cannot personally conclude that Jesus was a liar or a lunatic. The only other alternative is that He was the Christ, the Son of God, as He claimed. Yet one has only so many choices. The issue with these three alternatives is not which is possible, for it is obvious that all three are possible. Rather, the question is which is more probable. 
Who you decide Jesus Christ is must not be an idle intellectual exercise. You cannot put him on the shelf as a great moral teacher. It's not a valid option. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And you must make your choice. The evidence is clearly in favor of Jesus Lord. And for some people, however, they reject the clear evidence because of the moral implications involved. Ultimately, they don't want to face up to the responsibility or the implications of having to call Him Lord. What he's saying to that is, once we come to the understanding of who God is, how we're separated from God and what Jesus did for us, the confession of faith is Jesus is now our Lord. Lord means Master and Savior. And so that's to change everything about us because He is the truth. An argument some people have is that I just don't like religion. I don't believe in a God. But here's an absolute truth for you. Everyone believes in some sort of God. Everyone believes in some sort of God. We devote our time, we devote our energy, we devote our resources, our income to whatever we are going to serve. Your God may not be the God, it may be your children, it may be your family. I've been in churches where gods of of Christians have been their spouses. It may be your your habits or your hobbies, it may be just having a good time, it may be the, the wanting to be accepted. But we will worship something because that's what we've been created to do. Even the atheist who says they don't believe in a God is simply making a statement of faith that they are the God of their life. The agnostic who says that you can't have enough knowledge to know if there is a God is basically saying that the pursuit of knowledge is their God because we all serve something. I think Bob Dylan said that, didn't he? You're going to serve somebody. Because we all have it in us. The absolute truth is that everyone believes in a God. And what the Bible presents is that there's a God who loves you. There's a God who's for you. He has your best in mind. He created you for a purpose. He gives you hope. He gives you love. He gives you security. He provides for you. He protects you. He is on your side. He wants you to be his children because he is the God of the universe and he wants you back into a relationship with him. And that's the truth. And that's what Jesus came to present. He said, I can't work my way back to God. And I'm going to serve something, and I can either serve something that's going to lead me to destruction, or I can serve something that's going to lead me to eternal life. But I'm going to serve something, and ultimately it comes down to you and I have to make a choice. So even though we go to defend our hope, the reality is when we defend our hope, it doesn't mean that when we defend it, people are going to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. I've done it many times where people have told me to shut up or get away or leave them alone. But we are simply called to defend, to share, to be the ambassadors of the truth. The truth is, without Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. I know we don't want to talk about that. I'm not going to do a fire and brimstone type of moment. But that's the truth. Without Jesus Christ, people in your life are going to hell. Do we even flinch at that? Do we even bat an eye at that? There are people we love that are heading to eternal damnation? See, the reality of Jesus being the truth for us as believers is Jesus is the living Word. He came to live God's law perfectly. He came to make God known and show the way to God. 
And as believers, the reality of Jesus being the truth is I have to take God's word at, at its entirety. It is all there and there are no contradictions. And what that means, and I've heard this in the church so many times, it makes me sick. Well, preacher, that's the way you read it, but that's not the way I read it. What you're basically saying is there are different ways to read God's word because there's not an absolute truth, meaning that it's relative. Meaning you may have to apply that, but I don't have to apply that. But the truth is, if God's word is truth, then it's absolute truth for our entire lives. And so there's no bargaining. There's no debating with God if whether or not we have to do something or not do something. If it's there, it's there for a purpose, and it's for our good. It's for our best. It is for the life that God creates to have that it would be joy and complete joy. First John tells us in chapter 1, he says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And what is he writing about? He's writing about Jesus, about knowing Jesus, that you would know Jesus as the truth and the way and the life so you can have that joy, that complete joy, that abundant life he's promising you. He says, this is the message we have heard him and declare to you, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. How do we live in the light? We read God's word. We hear God instructing us, commanding us, guiding us, leading us. And we ultimately have to make a decision. Is this truth or not? Do I really have to do this or not? Well, if you believe Jesus is the truth, then you have to believe the Bible is the truth. That doesn't mean you're always going to do it right. Lord knows I don't. But it means that every effort that I have in my life is to be living in the truth. Why? So the people that God has placed around me can see the truth in me coming out of me. I am the light and salt of the earth. That's why I'm here. So others can know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you're here this morning, if you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, you've been trying to figure that out, and something this morning just clicked, the Spirit just opened it up, and you're like, holy cow, I am not saved. I have not made that, that, that testimony of faith. The Bible says that we all sin, we all fall short, and the wages, the cost of our sin is death. That means eternal separation from the God of life. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And the Bible says when I come to an understanding that Jesus died for my sins, the sins that are separating me from God, the sin that is keeping me from being the image bearer of God that I've been created to be, that's my purpose. To, to be an image bearer of God, to bring God glory through my life. And sin separates me from being that. It cuts me off from God. And I can't work my way back to God. I can't do enough stuff to get back to God. I can't go to church enough, read my Bible enough, memorize enough. I just can't do it alone. It is only by the work of Jesus Christ that is finished. When I believe that, when I, when I believe God loves me that much, God is for me that much, God wants me that much, the Bible says, I believe that in my heart and I confess it with my mouth. I make it publicly known. I need Jesus. I want to be saved. I want the truth in my life. The Bible says when I do that, I am saved. <laughs> I'm eternally secure. 
and nothing can separate me from the love of the Father. If you're here this morning and you've yet to make that confession of faith, truth is you are separated from God. And if your life ended today, you'd be separated from God for eternity. I'm not trying to scare you into salvation. I'm just, that's the truth. I'm telling you that because I, I love you. I want, I want you to be saved. I want to be in heaven with you one day. And I'm going to stand down here and we sing a song of invitation. I'm going to invite you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want Jesus. I'm, I want to pray with you. It's not a magical prayer. There's nothing magical about walking the aisle. It's just coming down and confessing, I want Jesus in my life. Maybe you're here today and you've already made that confession of faith. My question for you is the question I've been struggling with all week. Am I living in the truth so much that people see the truth in my life? Am I living in the truth so much that people see the truth in my life? Or am I getting in arguments about relative stuff? We ask the worship team to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for your truth, Lord, that convicts us, that disciplines us, that calls us back to you, Lord. I know it's tough. I know it's hard. And, Lord, you know there's times I've been out of your will. There's been times I've been out of your way and ask you forgiveness. Forgive me, Lord, where I failed you. Forgive me for the times that I've allowed sin to have more power in my life than, than it does. Lord, you have overcome it. You have, you have beaten it. Sin no longer has power in my life. Thank you, Lord, for freeing me from that. And, Lord, I ask in this time that you free us, your children, from that. That we no longer look at your word and say, well, that may be how you read it or that may be how they say it is. But, Lord, we see your word as the truth that it has to be applied to our life and lived out of our life. That is not the hearers of the word, but the doers. Lord, let us be doers of the truth. And Lord, I pray for the individuals that are here this morning that are in the spiritual wrestling match at the moment. Whether or not they're going to step out on faith and, and accept you as their Lord and Savior. Whether they're going to give total allegiance to you. Father, give them the strength. Give them the strength to walk down the aisle. Give them the strength to come find me and, and, and declare they want to be forgiven. So Father, we give this time of invitation to you. Let us worship you in truth. Let us worship you by the guidance of the Spirit. That's what you're seeking after in this moment. Thank you, Lord, for, for being with us today. Thank you for allowing us to be with you. Pray us on your son's name. Let's stand as we sing.